This afternoon we're going to uh, use a part from one of our confessions that maybe we don't, we don't read or uh, consider too often. That's from the Canons of Dort. And I uh, encourage you to open up in your uh, Psalter hymnals to page 912. We're actually going to save the reading of the first three articles from the fifth main point of doctrine until a little later on in the service. We'll read that as we're going through uh, this theme together. But it'd be great if you had that open. And then we'll read now from uh, Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25. Which is page 1121 in the Pew Bibles. Let's begin at verse 13, Romans 7. Having just described the law as holy, the commandments holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandments might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So our reading from God's word here this afternoon. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, we want to tackle just for a few moments here this afternoon uh, a topic that I think uh, most likely uh, for you here this afternoon is a compelling one to consider the question, how can I be sure uh, that I'm saved, that I am a, a believer, and how does that assurance that may kind of waver and go up and down throughout my life, how can that be maintained when I continue to be a sinner and often a rather uh, miserable and foolish sinner? (laughs) This daily battle often unsuccessful against sin. How can assurance, being sure that I'm saved, how can that endure or survive? Maybe we could call it the 
conundrum, how can I be you know, a saint, and on the other hand, still a sinner at the same time? Can they coexist? And for answers to those questions, we're not going to answer all of those questions here, but we turn to a 17th century uh, confession that was written uh, over a period of a couple of years to give some answers to some particular erroneous teachings uh, in that day, but which are very, very applicable uh, to our own lives. And I would say, you know, we speak of the Heidelberg Catechism as being very uh, pastoral and applicatory, really preaching to the heart, and I would say there are there's some parts of the, the canons that, that also are very much uh, fall under in that category, in that, in that feel to them, very, uh, very much a friend to you. So I, I would commend them to you, the canons of Dort, and uh, a friend to us as we, as we walk through that, that battle, that sense that I'm, I'm a child of God, I know I'm a child of God, and yet I'm, I'm constantly battling te- temptation, and I'm, at the end of every day, having to admit that I've failed uh, once again in a number of, of different ways. And it's, uh, it could be a friend as we walk that pathway together. We often call this topic the uh, perseverance of the saints. It can be alternately called the preservation of the saints, where uh, it's the people of God persevering because of the power of God, the preserving power of God uh, working within us. So you may have been asked the question, I've been asked this question uh, many times, do you believe in once saved, always saved? And uh, slogans can be helpful, uh, but they can also fail to really kind of capture all the things that the Bible has to say. So on the one hand, I would want to say once saved, always saved, yes. I mean, if you're talking about uh, someone whom the Lord has chosen, has trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, believed on him for, for their salvation, repented, trusted in Christ alone. You know, we'd want to, we'd want to read passages like Philippians 1 verse 6. I'm certain that God, Paul writes, who began this good work within you will continue his work until this finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So if you're talking about once saved, always saved in terms of God's faithfulness and, and the believer you know, persevering to the ends, I'd want to affirm that. On the other hand, if, if you'd want to say that, that your identity as a believer is dependent on some confession of faith from the past, no matter how you live in the present, if there's no following of the Lord Jesus and no evidence, the fruit of the Spirit within you, then I want to back up and say I'm not sure if we're talking about the same thing. I'm looking for a book that I brought along. Here we go. Kevin DeYoung wrote a great book that I commend to you called The Grace Defined and um, Defended. What a 400-year-old confession teaches us about sin, salvation, and the sovereignty of God. He wrote that on the 400th anniversary of the Canons of Dort. And at one point he writes this. This doctrine of the perseverance of the saints is massively important and requires careful theological attention to move past the slogans and find the sturdier doctrine Underneath, move past the slogans and find the sturdier doctrines underneath. So I, I commend you the study of, of, of this topic as you know, the confession leads us into it, but as the word of God deals with that topic over and over again. 
Uh, now, to follow these, these three articles, I want to look at three points here, uh, not surprising, this afternoon. First of all, the status of saints. Secondly, the struggle of saints. And then finally, the security of, of saints. And we'll be looking at uh, Romans 7, some other passages as well. Let me read Article 1 from the fifth main point of, of doctrine. And the, uh, the title is, The Regenerates Are Not, not Entirely Free from sin. Those people whom God, according to his purpose, calls into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and regenerates by the Holy Spirit. He also sets free from the reign and slavery of sin, though in this life not entirely from the flesh and from the body of sin. You think about that, that movement, right, from slavery to sin to freedom. Uh, Romans 6, verses 5 through 6, since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. This, this, this idea of Christ's victory on the cross, outside of anything we've done, giving us, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, victory over sin. So we're no longer slaves of, of sin. There's this, there's this triumph. Our, our identity of Christ is, in, in Christ is dependence on his complete and utter victory. And yet it goes on to, to note there's, there's a part of the status that as long as we live in this troubled world uh, with, with fallen hearts, uh, we're not going to be entirely... Uh, free from the flesh and from the body of sin. There's the sense that, that this great battle has been won. <laughs> so the war has been won. It's been, it's been accomplished. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. And yet there are these skirmishes <laughs> until Jesus Christ comes back to judge the living and the dead. He returns to this earth. He comes with the new heavens and the new earth. So the kingdom comes in all of its perfection. Until that happens, we're going to have to continue to struggle. And these skirmishes with sin are going to continue to occur. And you know that. I don't have to even tell you that here this afternoon. And we, we find Paul, I think, really helpfully in Romans 7, describing his own frustration uh, with understanding. And he, so here's Paul who knows more than anybody what it means to describe the gospel of Jesus Christ, what it means to be saved by grace through faith. It's not of your own, not what my hands have done. And yet, struggling on, on a daily basis and then trying to express it in Romans 7 in a way that, that really gives a sense that, that Paul... Is, is struggling with this in, in his heart, how this, how this can happen both at the same time. All that he's been describing in, in uh, the first six chapters of, of the book of Romans. It, you get a sense that this troubles him. He's trying to figure out, figure it out. There's this real sense that the law is good. The law is holy. I mean, it reflects the, the character of God, and yet the law can't save me. I mean, it exposes my sin. It shows me just how sinful 
uh, sin is. And it's good in that sense. It's from God. It's holy and righteous and good. But it can't save me. And, and then I, I find alongside of this desire to serve God and this changed heart, uh, this desire to do what, what, is, what is still evil. So even though I desire to do what is good, I find myself doing the things that, that I hate. How can I explain this? There's this other power that's at war within my mind. Verse 18, I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. If you're a believer here, you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, I mean, you're a part of the church of God, you know something of this already. Even if you're five years old here, you've already started to see that this is a real problem. And the war's been won, the victory's been achieved, it's finished, and yet, uh, throughout this life, there's going to be many, many skirmishes along the way. And because God is allowing this and ordaining this, he must have a purpose for this as well. Saints and still a struggling sinner. Not a sinner in terms of my status. A slave to sin, given over to sin. But in, in terms of my daily struggle, yes, yeah, still, still a, a, foolish, a foolish sinner. Uh, whenever I see references to this kind of skirmish or, or war and the kind of language that Paul, uh, Paul uses, I, th- I think back to the Second World War. And um, my heroes were, uh, were the 101st Airborne paratroopers captured in, in Stephen Ambrose's book, The Band of Brothers. You may have read that book or heard of it at least. And uh, one of the sergeants over that airborne division, uh, Dick Winters, uh, wrote a lot. He was a real soldier's man. He was, he was one who, who led the way into battle. He didn't follow from the rear, but he led, led his men into battle. He was really known for that, respected for that. And he was involved as both a sergeant and a major in many of the, like, the major skirmishes of the Second World War on the way to victory in, uh, in, in Europe. And towards the end of the war, he, he wrote this in his, in his journal. You know I've had enough of war. Think about this in terms, of, in terms of our experience of saved, <laughs> delivered, already in a sense seated in the heavenly places, but still badly. <laughs> you know I've had enough of war, and I promised myself that if I should make it through this war, that I will go back to my home state of Pennsylvania, and I will find a small tract of land that will be a farm for me and my wife and my kids, and I will live out my days in peace and tranquility. And that makes sense, right, in the, in the mind and the pen of a, of a lifetime uh, soldier, one who's seen war and, and death and bloodshed and, and everything else. I mean, the, the adrenaline of war and the adrenaline of winning and making it through the war. He made it through, and he did buy a farm in Pennsylvania. I had friends who knew him and went and visited him when I, I served in, in uh, New Jersey. And there's a sense as, as saints of the living God, knowing that I'm covered in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The war's won, but until that day when Jesus Christ comes back and I'm at rest, it's necessary for me to fight. And uh, I'm going to have to battle 
And the Lord in his goodness is going to use those battles in a number of different ways. So the status of saints, secondly, the struggle of saints. I think the second article really captures this well, the significance of of this battle. It's called the believer's reaction to sins of weakness, article two. Hence, daily sins of weakness arise and blemishes cling to even the best works of God's people, giving them continual cause to humble themselves before God. Here's some of the, here's some of the, the fruits of how God uses our daily uh, battles with sin. To flee t- for refuge to Christ crucified. To put the, to the flesh to death more and more by the spirit of supplication and by holy exercises of godliness and to strain toward the goal of perfection until they are freed from this body of death and reign with the Lamb of God in, uh, in heaven. Sins, our daily battles with sins are not insignificant. They're covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ but they are these skirmishes that we must enter into with faith and with trust, with prayer, supplication for the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a sense of seriousness here. Blemishes cling to even our best works. Over and over again, I have to flee for refuge to Christ crucified, strain. Paul confesses you can feel the feeling and the the desperation and the Emotion, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Have you felt the weight of your sin exposed in your heart by the good work of the Holy Spirit so that you found yourself expressing it in in something of that meaning and significance? What a miserable person I am. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. My, uh, I have an older sister who recently uh, just achieved remission from uh, stage two or three uh, battle with cancer. And a long, uh, long process. And I remember accompanying her one time to one of her uh, chemotherapy and, uh, appointments in, um, in the Oakville Hospital. There's something about walking through uh, life with a believer who is being challenged with that level of, um, of sickness and the, uh, the questions about the future and the pain and, and suffering uh, during those two or three years that she went through and is still, still suffering in, in many, uh, many different ways. I, f- I found myself with, with an ear to want to hear what she had to say. I remember somebody, somebody identifying that as stage four advice. Like if you want real advice, someone who really is going to give you something that speaks deep into your heart, go to a Christian who's in stage four cancer. In a sense, we're all being prepared to die someday. That's what, that's what preaching is all about. That's what life in the church is all about, preparing to die well, to die in Christ. And stage four advice is from somebody who knows they're probably going to pass away soon and and you could count that they got something to say. <laughs> There's something about each one of us that should be stage four in that sense. That we know that left to ourselves, we'd be lost. 
Uh, left to ourselves, our fight against sin would be meaningless and empty and totally insignificant. We could not remain standing if left to our own strength. And so indwelling sin is the experience by which we're humbled, we flee to Christ, by God's grace we put to, f- to death the flesh more and more, and we long for glory. I think some of the best hymns that we have cover all of that. The reality of our sin, the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the last stanza you'll notice in the lot, start looking up. So the believer, because he or she knows that they're struggling and feels the weight of that, and, uh, and feels the sadness and the regret of that, but still loves Christ, uh, is looking up, looking forward to what's to come, looking forward and longing for, for glory. God wants you and myself in a position where we know how desperate we are for, for his grace. Not just once in our life, but a, a continual need to be fueled by his grace in the battle against sin. Psalm 51, uh, David expresses his repentance over his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. You might know that story uh, a little bit. At one point in Psalm 51, he expresses this, Then I will teach your way to rebels, and they will return to you. Not only does our daily struggle with sin, and the way that that struggle humbles us, causes us to cling to Christ, Not only is that important for us and our own life of faith, but David said, now that I've repented and now that I've struggled, I've got something to say to other sinners. And I think that's really true in in the church, in our families, in the life of, of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. The more we understand that struggle, the more we're able to help other sinners, both be sympathetic to them, but also know how to lead them to repentance. Lead them to an understanding of their sin. Lead them to Jesus Christ. Uh, be, be shepherds to other sinners along the way. No matter where they're at, they don't know Christ yet. Or they've fallen into some, uh, some deep, dark sin. Uh, the church should be a place. Uh, it should be a hospital in that sense, where any broken person along the way can come and receive help from fellow sinners on the way to knowing how to engage in that struggle and how to find grace and power in the arms of of our Savior. So the status of saints, the struggle of saints, and finally uh, the security of saints at the end of Article Article 3. I'll read all all of it again. We've already referred to it, but God's preservation of the converted because of these remnants of sin dwelling in them and also because of the temptations of the world and Satan, those who have been converted could not remain standing in this grace if left to their own resources. And then this, this final line, but God's, God is faithful, mercifully strengthening them in the grace once conferred on them and powerfully preserving them in it to the end. Behind the Christian's perseverance, you'll find God's preserving power, the presence and indwelling of of the Holy Spirit. Uh, 
it's sad to see sometimes many Christians basing their security on on our day-to-day performance. I remember reading a, a, a counselor that I knew who used this as an example very often, who had a, a, a Christian in his office and talking about his problems and his, and his struggles. And, and he looked at him at one point and said, are you a Christian? And the man he was, he was counseling said, I try to be. You know, I'm, I'm aiming to be. I'm doing my best. And, and the counselor really had to bring him back to the gospel at the heart of, of the solution to many of his, of his problems. He was, he was seeing himself in Christ only based on his own performance. And when his performance was lacking, then he wasn't sure if he was a Christian. I'm trying to be. The security of saints is you, you're trusting in Christ. You've turned to him in repentance and trust. You fear the living God. You're following him. You might know without a doubt that you're a, you're a child of God. There's a great... Security. We don't base it on our daily performance. Even though the Lord encourages us along the way when, he's, when there's fruits in our lives. And that fruit is, is necessary, but our confidence is not based on our daily performance. We'd waver conf- constantly if our confidence was based on our recent track record. So we keep our eyes on our faithful Savior We read from John 10 at the beginning, I give them eternal life, talking about a sheep. No one will snatch them out of my hands. Romans 8, who shall separate us from the love of God? Who will condemn us? What keeps us secure uh, to the end is never our hold on Christ, but Christ's hold on us. So this, this struggle for Paul, this struggle for every believer, a saint, Covered in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. This, this new identity, I'm a child of God, and yet, and yet struggling. That's, that's, the, that's the turmoil for every single, every single believer here uh, this afternoon. Triumphant, yet toiling. <laughs> so humbled, dependent upon God, prayerful, Full of, full of antagonism towards the devil and every temptation that would lead me away from Christ because Christ has loved me with such a great love. I'm desirous to follow him and to serve him, struggling still. I, uh, we recently moved to Hamilton, and I don't know how many of you know the area of Hamilton, but we're at the end of the uh, Hamilton Harbor, and we're at a, right near a place called Princess Point. And if, you're, if you come to Princess Point in the middle of winter, uh, you'll find uh, hundreds and hundreds of people skating out on, on the ice. And there's a sign there that uh, will tell you whether it's safe, safe to skate. You don't want a thousand people skating when it's not safe. Now, I remember as a teenager falling through the ice one time um, up in the canal in the Holland Marsh just north of Toronto. And so I've had a healthy, a healthy fear listening uh, to the sounds the ice makes before going out and skating or playing hockey or uh, whatever. And people will have uh, different strategies for doing that. Uh, some will inch their way out on the ice, um, especially if they have children, uh, not quite confident yet until they're kind of a little ways out. Others I've seen will just take off and go skating 
totally, totally confident. The point is, it doesn't really matter what kind of person you are, what level your faith might be at on a certain day, whether you're, you're deep in a dive because trouble is getting you down and you're, uh, you're dealing with some doubts and with some sadness and brokenness right now, or whether you're in the highest place you've ever been and you just feel right with God. Um, what holds you up is, is the ice. If the ice is thick enough, it doesn't matter how confident you are, that ice is your, is your security if it's a couple feet thick. Your faith is, is not dependent finally at all on the strength of your faith, your, your identity with Christ is secure in his promises and his goodness and his uh, faithfulness to you. Um, the last article I'd like to read, it's from the last article of the Canons of Dort. This teaching about the perseverance of true believers and saints and about their assurance of it, a teaching which God has very richly revealed in the word for the glory of his name and for the comforts of the godly, and which God impresses on the hearts of believers is something that the flesh does not understand. Satan hates, the world ridicules, the ignorance and the hypocrites abuse, and the spirits of error attack. The bride of Christ, on the other hand, has always loved this teaching very tenderly and defended it steadfastly as a priceless treasure. And God, against whom no plan can avail and no strength can prevail, will ensure that the church will continue to do this. To this God alone, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be honor and glory forever. And then de Young ends uh, his, his work on this with these words. Uh, Dort teaches this, God is bigger than we thought, and grace is better than we imagined. If ever there were a, it's not about me, faith, it should be the Reformed faith. We did not choose to be elect. We did not die for our sins. We did not raise ourselves from the grave. We did not conjure up the miracles of faith. We will not, by our own free will, finish the race. We need a God who does the unconditional electing, a God who does the effectual dying, a God who does the supernatural resurrecting, a God who does the unilateral gifting, and a God who does the unbreakable preserving. That's the grace we need. That's the God we worship. To this God alone, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be honor and glory forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that this word that we have heard this afternoon would be a balm for us uh, facing the, the troubles and challenges and temptations this coming week. They're going to come. They're going to come strong. And the more, the more we come to know you, the, the stronger they feel. And uh, let, them, let them be a let these words be a, a comfort to us in the middle of that battle. The goodness of your preserving love and power. The it is finished of the Lord Jesus Christ from the cross. But let it also be an encouragement for us to fight hard against sin. To pursue righteousness in this coming week. Because of who we are. We are... We are the sheep of the living God, 
The Lord Jesus Christ is our good shepherd. And, uh, and like Paul, we want to do what's right. and Give us that increasing desire and increasing uh, victory over sin in our lives. In your son's name we pray, amen.